Welcome to Cosmic Controversy with author and veteran science journalist Bruce Dormany, host of the podcast that asks probing questions about today's aerospace and astronomy. Bruce is author of Distant Wanderers, The Search for Planets Beyond the Solar System, and a Forbes.com science contributor. Now, here's Bruce. Welcome to Episode 17 of Cosmic Controversy. Today on the podcast, I'm pleased to welcome Francesca Rizzo, a doctoral candidate at Germany's renowned Max Planck Institute for Astrophysics in Garking. Originally from Italy, Rizzo completed her bachelor's in physics at the University of Pisa and a master's in astrophysics and cosmology at the University of Bologna. She is particularly focused on learning how the earliest galaxies in the universe began and evolved over cosmic time and her research is directly involved in helping to answer two major questions. How did galaxies, like our own Milky Way, actually form all those eons ago? And how do they help define the structure of the observable universe as we know it? And that's the gist of the episode today. Rizzo joins us from Garking in Germany. Francesca, welcome to Cosmic Controversy. Thank you. It's good to be here. First off, most listeners know that we live on a habitable planet, uh, circling just one of billions of sun-like stars inside our own grand spiral Milky Way galaxy. But they don't likely uh, have a very good scientific definition of what we mean when we actually say the word galaxy. How do you actually define a galaxy? Well, a galaxy is made up of three main components. There are stars, gas, and dark matter. So the gas is one of the main important component because uh, the stars form from the gas and in particular they form from the cold gas component which is the um, mainly made of molecular hydrogen. Then there is the dark matter. What is the dark matter? Well, the dark matter is something that is dark and why is it dark? Because we can say that it is not able uh, to absorb, reflect, or emit uh, electrom electromagnetic radiation. And for this reason, it's very difficult to detect dark matter. So the dark matter is uh, the main matter component within our universe because uh, it accounts for about 84% of the total matter in the universe. So to summarize, for making a galaxy, you need gas, stars, and a halo of dark matter. A halo of dark matter. And why is a halo important? The halo is important because when you think about a galaxy, the galaxy is something spheroidal, and uh, these spheroids lived, lives in a halo of dark matter. What is the structure of a spiral galaxy? So a spiral galaxy is made up of a disk, um, so, and both the stars and the gas, which made up in general galaxies, are in this disk. Uh -huh. And then on top of this disk, there are these spirals. And um, the spirals are made up mainly of very young stars and gas. So stars and gas are related together because uh, um, new stars formed for, from cold gas, which is mainly molecular hydrogen. 
And then the other uh, main component of a spiral galaxy is a dark matter. And in particular, the dark matter is in a halo. In the halo. In the halo, you say? Yeah. Okay. And uh, in terms of the number of arms of spiral galaxies, we think that our own spiral galaxy has three to four arms. Uh, some people say three, some people say four. Uh, what do you think? So, in general, uh, the, the, the spiral arms in, uh, in galaxies are a very difficult topic because we still don't know how spiral arms form it. So, for example, there are some galaxies that have just two arms. Other, for example, it is for that a very open so you're saying topic. That, so you, you broke up there. So you're saying that some spiral galaxies only have two two spiral arms and then some have as many as four? Yeah. And then and then there is also not in all spiral galaxies, but this is the case for example for our Milky Way, uh -huh. there is also a bulge which is a bulge. A spheroidal okay. a spheroidal component in the inner region of the galaxy. So it covers just the the inner regions of spiral galaxies. Okay. And in and is often made up only by very, very old stars. How many galaxies do we estimate there might be in the whole universe? <laughs> the number uh, of galaxies is not an easy, an easy task in the observable universe. Because with the current telescopes, we are not able to see all galaxies because some galaxies appear very, very faint. So what we can do is that we can estimate the number of galaxies that we are missing and have an idea about the total number of galaxies in the universe. And this uh, gives us a number of the order of two trillion uh, galaxies in the observable universe. So you're saying two trillion. Good gosh. Yeah. Uh, I, when, I, when, I, when I actually wrote my book uh, on extrasolar planets uh, almost 20 years ago, at that point, we had only determined there were something like three or four hundred uh, billion galaxies. And now you're saying we estimate they're two trillion. I mean, that's just amazing how the number keeps yeah. going up. <laughs> Take us back to the beginning of time. In the first hundred million years of the universe's history, how did the universe go from an infinitely dense, hot singularity some 13.7 or 13.8 billion years ago, something so incredibly small and physically impossible to, to define, to the era of the first stars forming. So at the beginning of time, as you say, the universe was very hot and dense. Then what happens? It happens that the universe through a phase of rapid expansion, and therefore its temperature and density degrees. So at a certain point, then, when the temperature was low enough, the first stars and galaxies started to form. So most of the information about the young universe derived from a relic radiation that is the leftover heat of the Big Bang, which is called the cosmic microwave background. Now, the cosmic microwave background is the leftover, is the, uh, as, you, as I say, the leftover heat of the Big Bang and is also the oldest light that we can observe. This is the relic radiation from the Big Bang itself. And in what we term in the U.S., the, the FM band on the, uh, on the radio, 
between uh, stations, you can actually hear the uh, static left over from the cosmic microwave background from the Big Bang itself. Yeah, it's correct. It was discovered in this way. How do we get from the cosmic microwave background at 380,000 years after the Big Bang to the first stars, the universe's first stars, even before there were galaxies? And these stars, I believe, are known as population three stars. Has anyone ever detected evidence for the very first stars in the universe? So these were, uh, have not been detected yet, and the very first uh, stars appear at, um, about 100 million after the Big Bang. So 100 million, oh, 100 million years after the Big Bang, the first stars appeared? Yes. And these are stars that were very different from the nearby stars, and they ended their life very rapidly and vanished with the expulsion of all their gas from the dark matter halo uh -huh. because of the violent supernova explosions. How long will these very first stars have, have lasted? Of the order of a few million years. Only a few million years. Okay. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a very hard concept to explain or even understand, but the, the universe essentially expanded uh, pretty much uniformly in all directions, first in the era of inflation, then much more slowly. In fact, today the universe is, is expanding, as we know. Do you have any ideas about what triggered this inflation? So, the, yes, as you say, the universe has expanded, but the way in which it has expanded changes throughout its life. So after the Big Bang, there was a period of accelerated expansion that is called inflation. And then the universe go through, uh, expanded at a slower rate. But four billion years ago, it began to gradually expand more quickly and is still doing so. Now, what is the trigger of inflation? This is, <laughs> this is a, a very hard question because Basically, the detailed mechanism responsible for the expansion during the, infl the inflation period and uh, the observable expansion uh, today are unknown. So one of the ways to explain, for example, uh, the accelerated expansion is to introduce the dark energy, which is now the main component of the universe. But this is uh, the the dark energy, yes. But the but the inflation, we still don't really have a we don't ha we don't know what was the trigger mechanism for the rapid inflation at the very earliest eras of the universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, we still really have no idea what caused this inflation. So there are some idea. One of the um, let's say best candidate is the energy of the vacuum. So is uh, vacuum um, energy the energy related to a quantum field, okay. but there is uh, an open debate about this. So basically, we still don't know. Still don't know. Okay. What's the oldest galaxy thus far detected? So the oldest galaxies, galaxy thus far observed is 13.4 uh, billion years away, meaning that it existed just 400 million years after the Big Bang. And this is incredible because I can remember interviewing uh, an observational cosmologist about uh, about this whole idea of, you know, when did the first galaxies uh, begin? At that point, one, it was 1.2, 1 billion, 
one billion years, 800 million years after the Big Bang, and now you, we pushed it back to to 300 million years after the start of the universe, after the beginning of time. I mean, that's pretty yeah. incredible. Well, we have we have a very very good telescopes now, so we can look back in the time. Do galaxies form bottom up or top down? So, in other words, is our own galaxy and galaxies like our nearest spiral neighbor, the Andromeda galaxy? Do they form uh, from the agglomeration of much smaller galaxies over time? Or, or was there a top-down mechanism in which large sectors of the universe's structure formed because some sort of primordial imprint was in the, the cosmic microwave background and it somehow fragmented and influenced large-scale structure within the, within the cosmos? Um, according to current cosmological model and models of structure formations, galaxies form bottom-up. So small structures form first in the early universe and then uh, they assemble through collision, merger and uh, accretion through filament from the cosmic web. When did what we term our own Milky Way galaxy actually come into existence? So, <laughs> our Milky Way, in our Milky Way, there are very old stars with age of about uh, the age of the universe, meaning that uh, they have age of the order of 13 uh, billion years. But there, there are also young stars with age of the order of million years. So this means that our Milky Way, as well as other spiral galaxies, galaxies go through a long phase of assembly that started just after the Big Bang and is still ongoing. But do you have a, can you put a date, an age on the on the Milky Way? Is it like uh, 12 billion years old or? Uh, galaxies uh, in general uh, are for do, to form uh, around 600 million years after the Big Bang. So, uh, the first stars in our galaxy should form at that time as the age of the stars within our galaxy, say us. Because, as I say, so we measure that the age of the oldest stars in the Milky Way are of the order of 13 billion years. So it means that 700 million years, 800 million years after the Big Bang, the first, star of the, the first stars of the Milky Way formed. And these were the so-called uh, population uh, two stars, I mean the oldest stars, the stars that form from the globular clusters that uh, we can still see uh, if you have a pretty good uh, telescope. Even in your own backyard there are some globular clusters that amateur astronomers yeah. can see. And um, yeah. and then the disk, then the stars in the disk in which we live, in which our own sun lives, formed uh, much later on. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So the 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 stars of the disk form uh, later. So they are much younger than the stars that inhabit the globular clusters, and also the stars that inhabit the bulge, which are the stars focusing the inner region. So, for example, to give an idea, uh, the, the age of the stars in the disk are smaller, usually, than 8 uh, giga years. 
So eight, sorry, eight billion years. Okay, so the, so in other words, the the stars in the disk uh, in which we inhabit are are usually less than eight billion years old. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and whereas the stars in the globular clusters, which are kind of some of them are out near the halo, they're kind of uh, below and below uh, above the disk. Some of these, I mean, it's, what's amazing is if you go out into the backyard with a you know even a uh, an eight eight inch uh, telescope you can actually see some of these amazing old stars in and a globular clusters and and you might have a million stars in one cluster and you're saying that these stars were the first stars in our galaxy and they can date back to 600 million years after the big bang yes i mean that that's absolutely amazing <laughs> what, what what surprises you about that? I mean, does that are you amazed at that at the time at the ages age differences of these two different populations of, of stars in our own galaxy? Yes, I. It's amazing that there are two populations uh, of stars with very different ages, and they also formed in very different way. Because, for example, uh, the uh, youngest population, so the one that inhabit the disk, are thought to come from also uh, the merger, so the collision with other galaxies. So it can be that uh, um, some of the stars derive from other galaxies, so from other systems, and then were attracted, uh, so this galaxy were, uh, was attracted from, um, by our Milky Way, and then uh, uh, is now part of the Milky Way. Uh, uh, over the process of mergers over time. So uh, so this uh, this may sound like a crazy question, but there are two components in, in uh, the movement of our Milky Way uh, over cosmic time. And so do we have any idea uh, how far our Milky Way has moved from the site of its actual formation to its current location? And I guess there, what I'm saying is there, it, it, there are two components to this. The first component is the expansion of space-time as we know it. Because uh, if I'm not incorrect, uh, space-time as we know it is expanding in the same way that a cake rises or a balloon rises. Uh, and it is expanding in a, in a uniform kind of isotropic manner. I mean, that's the gist of how the universe expands right in a as a cake that's uh, that's baking like yeast rising <laughs> in a cake is it isn't that right yeah yeah it's right so this means that uh, for example um, it look like it looks like uh, all the other galaxies are moving away from the milky way it's the first motion of the of the milky way the the expansion of the universe leads uh, to a change of the relative distances between the galaxies. So it looks like the, 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 all the other galaxies are moving away from the Milky Way. Also, our galaxy is moving away from the other galaxies. So if we are in the system of the Milky Way, it looks like all the other galaxies are moving away. But is that uh, the universe is expanding. There are other motions of the Milky Way. And can you describe those? 
so the, there are two other motions of the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. So one is the motion of the Milky Way in the local group, and the other is the motion of the local group. And the lo- uh, and, and, and give, give us a parenthetical definition of the local group. Galaxies are usually not isolated, but they live in a group or cluster, meaning that they live with uh, other galaxies. So this is an example for uh, uh, the Milky Way, which lives in a group made up of uh, other galaxies, meaning that they are gravitationally, they feel the gravitations of other galaxies living in the group. And so uh, they're basically are gravitationally bound to this group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Milky Way is mo- is moving in basically two ways. We observe the Milky Way moving through space time due to the expansion of the cosmos itself, and the other is uh, due to local gravitational effects of the Milky Way as it's being moved over very large distances and very large scales due to gravitational attraction from this local group of galaxies in which we are part. Yeah, and also the other one is the motion of the local group with respect to other uh, large-scale structure. And so, for example, if you uh, measure the, the motion of the Milky Way, you can see that the Milky Way is moving to uh, Andromeda, which is another galaxy in the local group, with a speed of around 100 km per second. And then the local group is moving all together with a speed of around... Uh, uh, 16 kilometer per second, so relative to the the cosmic background. Eventually, the Andromeda, which is called M31, and our own Milky Way will collide. In fact, there was an article, I believe, last week saying that the the Andromeda and the Milky Way, uh, the outer halo of the of Andromeda, had already kind of invaded the, the Milky Way space. Different theoretical studies say that uh, in around 4 billion years, uh, the Milky Way and the Andromeda will collide. What about our own solar system over the last uh, 4.5 billion years? I mean, our solar system itself is 4.5 billion years old, give or take. How has our solar system's own position changed within the Milky Way over the last 3 to 4 billion years? We know that we are in, in the outer edge of a spiral arm, but... Was that always the case? Have we moved around? So uh, the the solar system, yes, is uh, traveling at an average speed of 200 km per second around the galactic center. So this means that, uh, for example, for, uh, for our sun, uh, it takes 200 million years to make the trip around uh, the galaxy. So, for example, since our solar system has 4.5 billion years, this means that we have been around the galaxy uh, 20 times. However, the, the sun um, now is in the uh, outer edge of the spiral arm, but this in, so spy, in theoretical simulations say that this is not always the case. Because according to numerical simulations, stars move 
uh, move around uh, the, the galaxy in, and in particular some uh, studies say for example that uh, there was the motion of the sun outside in meaning that it was outside the disk and then it moves in the inner, in, it moved in the inner region, so in the position in which we are now. While other studies say that uh, it is on the other way. So uh, the sun was uh, in uh, the inner region of the galaxy, and then it moved to the outer region, and so in the position in which we are now. So for sure the position changed, but it is not clear uh, in which direction. In terms of the the age of the Milky Way compared compared to the our nearest grand spiral neighbor, the Andromeda Galaxy, which of the two are, is older? So they mm, they are sisters. <laughs> so basically, they are, they are twin sisters. We can say because they the the oldest star in both uh, galaxies, so in the Milky Way and in the Andromeda, have more or less the same age. So we cannot say that one is older than the other. In a paper just appearing in the Astrophysical Journal, uh, lead author Fabian Walter and colleagues at the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy in Heidelberg report breaking news today on observations that actually trace the inventory of molecular hydrogen gas at great distances. And, And you mentioned molecular hydrogen or hydrogen as being a major component, this gas, at the top of the conversation, you mentioned three major components of, of galaxies as we know them. Gas, dark matter. And the stars. And the stars itself, right. Using the Hubble Deep Field, Ultra Deep Field, Fabian Walter and colleagues tracked how the cosmos' inventory of gas and dust have changed over time from just over 2, two billion years after the Big Bang to the present. And one of the uh, principal conclusions that they reached was that the cosmic da- uh, gas density rises and falls over cosmic time. The team noted that at present, galaxies f- from form stars at a mere tenth of the production rate of the Golden Age. In fact, uh, production rates for stars have been in sharp decline for the past 9 billion years. But in a 2009 article I wrote for Nature News, nearly all, I write, nearly all massive galaxies have undergone at least one major merger since the universe was 6 billion years old. This 2009 survey I write used data from the Hubble Space Telescope to study 21,902 massive galaxies as they would have appeared when the universe was between 5.2 billion and 11.2 billion years old. Thus, the peak of the universe's starburst galaxies were some 7 billion years ago, as we mentioned. So the, the, star form, the cosmic uh, star formation some eight, something like eight, seven billion years ago. And then it declines to a factor of around 10 to the present value. And this match exactly what uh, Fabian Walter and uh, colleague found in, uh, uh, in the recent uh, uh, papers. So the cosmic cold gas component has a peak corresponding to uh, the cosmic stellar, uh, star formation rate. Of course, this is because the cold gas component is the fuel for star formation. So we expect something like this. Then the other point is that in um, so it was found also that the the galaxy star formation rate and the stellar mass 
Uh, have a tighter relation and there is also a, a lack of scatter in the relation between uh, these two properties of a galaxy. And uh, the, the lack of, uh, of scatter is always uh, considered as an evidence that this, uh, the increased uh, rate of star formation 7 billion years ago is due to uh, continuous gas accretion and not to merger and interaction between galaxies. So galaxy, uh, to summarize, galaxy uh, grow up in a very smooth way and uh, they are not too much influenced by merger and collision. So, in other words, you do not believe that uh, that galaxies are that as influenced uh, by collisions and mergers as previously believed. So, in recent years, uh, a lot of studies say that uh, the peak of the of the cosmic star formation rate is not due to merger, but is due to uh, smooth accretion. Smooth accretion, and and how how yes. and how would you define smooth accretion? So the, the idea is that uh, there are filaments of gas that, from the cosmic way that fall in the, in the galaxy. And these are filaments of cold gas. So this cold gas go directly in the disk of the galaxy and start and starts to form new stars. This is what is called a smooth accretion. <laughs> smooth accretion. Yeah. Ten years ago, the idea that... the That most of the star, most of the galaxies had starbursts uh, due to mergers is not really accepted. That's not really the accepted theory any longer. Yeah. So I mean, uh, we know that galaxy for sure had merger, but this is not the main. The mergers are not the main contribution of the growth of a galaxy and of the high star formation rate in the galaxy. Uh, seven, eight billion years ago. In your PhD thesis, you note that galactic rotation curves, which describe a galaxy's circular velocity as a function of the galactocentric radius, are a powerful tool to constrain the distribution and the composition of mass in galaxies across cosmic time. First, what's a galactic rotation curve? And uh, <laughs> uh, what is a galactocentric radius? And how does this help you actually describe how galaxies change across time? Yeah, so the rotation curve is uh, um, a tool that for which you have information about the motion of uh, the gas or stars within the galaxy. In my case, in my case, I studied the motion of gas. And in particular, through the rotation curve, you know that uh, um, a different distance, so a different galactocentric uh, radii, you have different uh, velocities or different motion of the gas. Why this is important? Well, because the motion of the gas is, uh, depends on the amount of matter within the galaxy. So, of course, if you observe the motion of the gas, you can have... Um, a direct probe of the mass within the galaxy. And for example, this is the, on, the only way to measure, for example, the amount of dark matter within uh, the galaxy and the evolution of dark matter across cosmic time. In a news release posted a few weeks ago, Japanese researchers using the Subaru telescope in Hawaii detected a galaxy with an extremely low oxygen abundance. HS, 
C J one six three one plus four four two six is a very small galaxy comparable to the mass of a star cluster in our Milky Way, say the researchers. Oxygen abundance suggests that most of the stars in this galaxy formed very recently. Standard cosmology predicts that there may still be a few galaxies in the early formation stage in the modern universe. They are actually saying, as I hear it, that they found a, a, a galaxy in the modern universe that is very young. I mean, it's not really fully developed. It's uh, not, not a mature galaxy. Yeah, and this is very important because this is uh, one of the um, best way to study the early universe because this, ga- this young galaxy in the uh, nearby universe are the best local uh, labs to study in detail the first galaxy few um, few years after the Big Bang. So by studying this galaxy, you can have information about uh, the building blocks of our Milky Way and uh, in general of the nearby galaxy that we observe. The interesting thing about this galaxy is not that it's uh, it dates back to the ed- to the uh, beginning of time. It's just that it's an undeveloped galaxy that's that's uh, relatively nearby. In a paper in which you are the lead author, published last month in the journal Nature, you write, The extreme astrophysical processes and conditions that characterize the early universe are expected to result in young galaxies that are dynamically different from those observed today. And this is because the strong effects associated with galaxy mergers and supernova explosions would lead to most young star-forming galaxies being dynamically hot, chaotic, and strongly unstable. Can you, can you explain what you mean by this? So theoretical studies think that galaxies in the first billion years of the universe are influenced by uh, collisions and supernova explosions. And in particular, this is because these galaxies uh, formed star at a rate which is at least uh, an hundred of magnitude higher than uh, what happened in nearby galaxy. So this means that, for example, you have um, more supernova explosions and the supernova explosion cause drive uh, turbulent motions within the galaxy. So it is expected that uh, very young uh, galaxies are dominated by turbulent motions and uh, they are very unstable. And of course, this is a huge difference with respect to local nearby galaxies. The galaxy mentioned in your paper is characterized from observations with the European Southern Observatory's ALMA array, and it is known as SPT 0418-47, and it has at least two features typical of our Milky Way, a rotating disk, and a large bulge, and we've talked about those two in uh, at the top of the conversation when when we were describing and uh, when you were describing uh, what a a spiral galaxy might actually look like. So, in other words, you have a large group of stars packed tightly around the galactic center, and in this galaxy, which you observed some twelve million twelve billion years back in time, is uh, shockingly normal looking. 
and looks very similar to nearby spiral galaxies. Yeah, so this is this was very surprising because uh, we expect something very different from local spiral galaxies. Well, while when I studied this galaxy, found that is very similar uh, to what uh, found uh, in the local universe. Uh, so in terms of uh, uh, its dynamical properties, so its rotation curve, as I um, said before, but also in terms of uh, its morphology. So it has a bulge as uh, our Milky Way. So tell me about the, the technique that you use to actually see such distant galaxies known as gravitational lensing. And it's a complicated technique, but can you explain how you use it to, to actually observe these really distant galaxies that you would not over that you would not be able to see without gravitational lensing yeah so um, if you want to observe something very distant is very is very difficult because galaxies distant galaxies are very faint so even with the current telescope you cannot see the details so you see just a blob you cannot see the details of the galaxy and one of the way to solve this issue is to use gravitational lensing what is gravitational lensing so it's um, so uh, it's a magnification glass so basically you have a distribution of matter between a distant light source and an observer. And this distribution of matter in intermediate position is capable of bending the light from the distant source. And this effect is, was predicted by the general relativity and uh, is the same, is like looking through a magnifying glass. So the lens galaxy distort and magnify the light from distant galaxy that, that is behind. And for this reason, you can uh, uh, observe the distant galaxy with great details. The uh, lens galaxy, you don't really have a clue as to the identity of the lens galaxy, but you can determine, uh, you can identify the background galaxy. So um, it, it depends on uh, uh, the telescope that you are using for your observation. So, for example, in some cases, you can see both the lens galaxy and the background galaxy. And the background galaxy look, looks like a ring around the uh, intermediate galaxy. In other cases, you just see a ring without the, the intermediate galaxy. The first time I heard about gravitational lensing was when I was writing my book on exoplanets because uh, there were groups that were using foreground star to magnify a more distant star in which they could detect a an extrasolar hot Jupiter. Yeah, this is an, another technique which is called microlensing and you, uh, you basically see a perturbation uh, in the magnification and this perturbation is due to the planet. So this is a way, this is one of the techniques that people use to discover planets. We're coming toward the end of the podcast episode, uh, but I have just a few questions left and before I let you go. And, and, and one of the, the ones that I find the most interesting is... What what are some of the most what are the biggest remaining puzzles about the structure and formation or evolution of our own Milky Way in your mind? 
So, uh, what we still don't know about the Milky Way is uh, the its accretion and star formation history. So, the problem is that observing a galaxy from the inside out is not an easy task. So, for example, it is very difficult to observe the old stars because they, these are very, very faint. And, of course, since we have information about the history, uh, the star formation history of the galaxy by observing uh, the properties of the stars. This means that uh, we, we still don't know what happened to our Milky Way. So we, we know, for example, that there were uh, mergers and collisions that shape uh, the, the disk and the bulge of the Milky Way, but we don't know the details, and in particular, we don't know the very uh, old uh, history of the Milky Way. On top of this, there is the other problem uh, related to the spiral arms. So we still don't have uh, any clue and uh, uh, theory about uh, the, the formation of the spiral arms and how they keep on forming uh, uh, stars. What don't we understand about the large-scale structure in the universe? Uh, well, the, the large-scale uh, cosmic structure is influenced by the composition of the universe. And as I say during uh, 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 at the beginning, we still don't know the dark matter, what, what, are the, what is the dark matter and what is the dark energy, which are the main contribution, the main contribution of our universe. The different dark matter and dark energy candidate predict a different large-scale structure from the universe. So for sure, the two main questions that we need to answer are what is the nature of the dark matter and what is the dark energy? So what's needed in terms of funding or data analysis and observations to, uh, to solve this uh, galaxy evolution research that isn't already being done? In terms of observations, we can say that we are in the golden age because, uh, in, uh, for example, in a few months, the James Webb telescope will be launched and this will open a new window in the, in the research uh, and in the study of the young universe. Because thanks to James Webb, we, are able, uh, we will be able to study very young galaxies with details that are not possible today with the current telescope. Galaxies at the first uh, billion, billion years and also million years of the, after the Big Bang. And then there are other telescopes. One is Euclid and, uh, for example, thanks to Euclid, we will able to have information about the nature of the dark energy. And Euclid is actually a, a European spacecraft, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. On the other end, there are also uh, theoretical studies that focus more on simulating what happens in our universe. And their main goal is to uh, study the effect of uh, stellar feedback and black hole feedback because these are, uh, so mean, meaning that they want to study the effect of, uh, for example, supernova explosions in the 
evolution of galaxies and in the effect of black hole in the evolution of galaxies. These are the uh, main open questions related to galaxy formation and evolution. Finally, what drew you to astrophysics as a field of study? <laughs> well, I've always been passionate about science. Uh, I decided to study uh, astrophysics and then uh, to start doing research in astrophysics because thanks to uh, astrophysics, we can uh, understand where we come from, where we are going. And, and for example, how physics works under conditions which are impossible to recreate uh, on, on the ground so on Earth. And when you actually look at the sky at night and you see the Milky Way, if you're able, what goes through your head? Do you think about galaxies forming at the beginning of time or do you think about uh, what's going on in, in our own solar neighborhood? So I actually think about uh, that. I think that our planet is so small with respect to the entire universe. But when I look at the sky, I always think about, oh, we are very, very small with respect to the entire universe. Do you have a way that uh, listeners can contact you on social media? Yeah, yeah, you can find me on Facebook um, through Francesca Rizzo. As always, please uh, follow Cosmic Controversy at uh, BruceDormanyPodbean.com or at BDormany on my Twitter feed. Francesca Rizzo. I will all look forward to your future research and helping us understand this incredible cosmos. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the podcast today. This has been Cosmic Controversy with Bruce Dormany. Please follow Bruce on Facebook, on Twitter at BDormany, or his regular posts on Forbes.com. Until next time, clear skies. Music provided by RFM.